Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is 1.30, 2022, and we're ready to continue our worship service. We're going to continue with the thought of the week and prayer. We have the thought of the week. Uh, Titus chapter 3, verse 5 says, He saved us not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Notice first in this verse that he saved us. Saved is the past tense and is only God our Savior. Titus chapter 3, 4. Who can and does save us? Our salvation is not based on righteous things we have done. We must state for the record, before or after, we are eternally saved by grace. For many, it is hard to accept grace, but we desperately need it. Many stop short of believing the gospel because they want to show God they are worthy of the gift. They will thank God for getting them through the door of salvation, but will, but will condition their ultimate salvation on their behavior and endurance after salvation. We must accept fully that Christ, that it is Christ earned perfect righteousness that is our only standing before God, not our vacillating attempts at righteousness for allowing God to use us after salvation to do works. There will be rewards, not the gift of salvation. First Corinthians chapter three, verses 11 through 15, second, our Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 7 through 8, which are just a few references. God only completely resolved the problem of sin. God not only resolved, completely resolved the problem of sin, but he also resolved the problem of our righteousness, unrighteousness. Both solutions are courtesy of the grace of God. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit. God does not need our obedience or good works to save us. God is completely satisfied by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. That's found in Romans chapter 3, verse 24. So just a short commentary, um, I wanted to uh, quote Romans chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. What shall we conclude? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we all, we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one 
righteous, not even one. And I think that includes the entire human race, anybody born in this world. God's comment is there are none that is righteous because of Adam's original sin. Ephesians 2.8 says, we are saved by grace through faith, and it is not of ourselves. It is not of works, lest any man should boast. So we must depend totally on God's completed work, his, his righteous life, his death, burial, and resurrection is the only thing we can have confidence in when it comes to salvation. Amen. At this time, I'm going to turn the service over to Dwight for prayer. Thank you very much, Pray. Um, does anybody have any particular prayer request before I start? Yes. Um, I'd like to um, ask that you pray for the Haddon family and uh, my sister, and um, just remember also my brother Michael and his church and his family. Okay. All right, thank you very much. You said the Haddon family? Yes, the Haddon, yes. Haddon family. In particular, Kenny as well. Kenny is uh, suffering from double pneumonia at this point in time. Okay. All right, we'll do it. We'll do it. Well, God, what is on our minds and hearts, let, let us go before Him in prayer then. Dear Father in heaven, um, we know that you are in us just as, as Christ is in you and you are in Christ. We are all united in one body. And in being in that body of Christ, whether it be the world, the, um, the worldwide church, or whether it's just the, uh, the Word of Truth Christian Church that are on this call, uh, we all, let us all have the pure motivation to seek after you, to diligently seek you and seek your plan, and, and know that that is where perfect love comes from, our pure motivation, not from uh, our own deeds done in our own righteousness. Um, I pray for for those who are sick among us and, and those who are in financial need, um, and, and especially for those who are uh, sick and thought about on this call. There's our brother Michael and his church and, and his family. There's um, also the Haddon family, and especially uh, Tim, I believe the name was, who has double pneumonia. Uh, Father, we know that these things are are very complicated in this world, but for you, a supernatural father, these things are um, easy. So um, we pray that your will would be carried out um, within a person's soul. We know that, you know, extending, um, extending life on this earth is not necessarily the, the goal. Um, and we can't see into the details of of why you do the things that you do. Um, but we beg you, please, we beseech you that you would take care of those that we care for. Um, and also, uh, Fred's sister and uh, anybody else who is on our minds and hearts. Um, 
let us be, let us, we, we approach you in sincere prayer that you would, um, you would watch over them who we think about and on our hearts and let our hearts be motivated purely to seek you diligently in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dwight and Fred. Appreciate that. Um, so we're moving forward to uh, John chapter 17 and verse 6. And let's just uh, review. Uh, John 17, 6 says, I have revealed you to those you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. We covered some of this last week. The first phrase, I have revealed you. And we said, really, Christ revealed the Father in two different ways. One, we can think about the finished work of Christ. He just talked about that. I have finished the work you gave me to do in verse 4, John 17, 4. So <clears throat> it is appropriate to discuss the work of Christ uh, as he was here. And uh, one part of it is the finished work of Christ, which has to do with uh, the salvation work that he did. But there's another part that uh, he deals with, and that is where he reveals, or we could say introduces, this new dispensation that is just on the horizon. It will begin at Pentecost. So this whole discourse has been about that and him trying to prepare the disciples who would be later apostles in the foundation of the church. <clears throat> so it, was, it has been uh, quite interesting as we see Christ develop it in uh, 14 and 15, 16, and now we're in 17 where he's praying to the Father. So, uh, in your notes, as Jesus turns his attention to the Father in prayer, he reveals things not commonly spoken of today. We get a chance to see behind the scenes into what was on Jesus' mind in a very personal way. Also, keep in mind this period was moments before Jesus leaves for the Garden of Gethsemane to meet his betrayer. His focus is on the work he will certainly finish. Imagine that. The eternal purpose of the Father depends on this special work, quote, that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's Ephesians 3.11. <clears throat> so we covered quite a, a lot of this. We, we can't go over all of it. I'll just pick up at um, 1C to just give us a, a little bit of review. So point C is Jesus came to reveal the Father. So he's, when he says, I have revealed you, he's talking about uh, the work that he did that, as I said, not many people talk about. It is where he has revealed the Father to those who were given to him from the Father. And it was Jesus's mission to reveal the plan to these people, these later disciples, which would become apostles. Uh, so, 
So he came, point C is that Jesus came to reveal the Father. There are two verses that immediately speak to this in my mind. And we covered John 1.18, which says no man has seen the Father. No man knows the Father except Jesus, who is God. And then in 14.7 through 11, where uh, Philip asks the question, show us the Father and that'll be enough for us. Jesus says, haven't I been with you this long and you still don't know me, Philip? I, I, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? And he goes on and tries to show. He has been revealing the Father. Point D, Jesus reveals the Father and his role as the image of the Father. So there's, these are a couple ways he reveals the Father. Uh, Colossians 1.15 he is the image of the invisible God, firstborn over all creation and so forth and so on. Hebrews, we went through Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, where Jesus is, uh, where it says that God spoke to uh, those in previous ages by various dreams and visions and prophets and so forth. But now in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. And then he, he goes in and talks about how the son is the heir of all things, the exact representation of his being and so forth. What a tremendous passage, Hebrews. We covered that. Point E, the revelation of the father speaks of the father's eternal plan, which fulfills his eternal purpose. So when we, <clears throat> we think about that, it when we think about Jesus revealing the Father, he's not just saying, hey, I have a Father, and he's in heaven. <coughs> Excuse me. Hold on. Yeah, he's just not, it's just not about the identity of the Father. It has to do with the revelation of the Father's plan. And that's what's important for us to know. And we, we have to keep that as our focus, not, oh, well, I know the Father. And just because I pray to the Father and I know what to say to the Father doesn't mean I know the Father's plan. Many people are praying to the Father, but they are not praying in accordance with the eternal purpose of the Father. That's going on every day uh, in this world. So it's just not about us knowing that there is a Father. It has to do with us understanding the Father's plan. And that's what he was revealing to the disciples. He told them, Pentecost is coming, and on that day you will know that I'm in the Father. Believe that I am in the Father. You're going to have the same thing I have. And that's what the church age is all about. So it's the revelation of the Father. It speaks of his eternal plan and purpose. Point F, the disciples now know about the Father, but that is the, not the only point. To the point, they have been introduced to the Father's plan, especially in this disclosure. So uh, and pretty much what we already said, I'm just still re recapping uh, what we went over last week. We haven't reached where we, start, where we left off, but those are, those are important points to make. So when we talk about Jesus, even in John 1.18, he says, no one knows the Father except the Son. Well, he's saying... The Father's plan, it was hidden in God. No one knew it, but Jesus begins to reveal it. And, and that's exactly what happens in the Gospels, especially John 14, chapter 14 through 17. 
Point number two, so I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. We covered this first point. Specifically, this is a reference to the disciples. So we, we should know that, John 17, 12, in the context. If you, literally, he, he's talking about the disciples. At one point, he even says, none of them is lost except the one who was uh, destined to perdition or destruction. He's talking about Judas Iscariot, who was not a believer. But Judas did play a role, didn't he? He was a betrayer, and that got Christ on the cross, and that got uh, Christ in the position where the Father was going to judge the sins of the world in him. So all of that <clears throat> had to do with the Father's plan. Even Judas's contribution, which was a negative contribution, it was also necessary. But nobody prompted Judas to do what he did. That was in Judas's heart to do what he did, so... And then uh, John 17, 20 talks about, and uh, Father, I have given them the glory you gave me, right? Because you loved me before the foundation of the world. So that love meant that the Father chose Christ for this mission, for this role. He preferred him and he chose him. And then uh, Christ loving us is the same thing. He's calling us into service, this, this same service, which is very uh, the prestigious, we could say, where we have been raised to the very uh, and seated in the very place of Christ where he says in, in Christ Jesus and so forth. I'd say that's lofty. We read a lot about that in Ephesians 2. But it is a reference to the disciples. And this is point B is for the record. And this is where we left off. Here's a list of the disciples who later became apostles and how they were chosen. So I, I know there were a lot of disciples following Jesus, but there were 12 that Jesus picked out of those disciples. And not many people know that. They sort of look at it like, well, he just went around and told people to follow him. And then, you know, those that's how they became disciples. But John 6 not John, Luke 6, 12 through 16 tells us a different way it happened. And it helps us understand why, uh, how the Father was involved in all of this. I want to read that again. Uh, even though we did cover this last week, I think it's critical. Luke chapter 6, and toward the end, verse, well, actually, let me just get with that, the reference here. Luke chapter 6, 12 through 16. So let's see. So, <clears throat> so it says, on, on, uh, no, One of the days Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray and spent the night uh, praying to God. So that's Luke 6, 12. Uh, and then, so he was preparing himself in the communion with the Father for this decision he had to make. 13. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them whom he also designated as also apostles. And again, we said this was written after the cross, after the church age began. Luke wrote this so he could talk about it from even retrospectively before it happened but because he knew it was going to happen uh, and, and he's already in the church age, so... So he designated apostles. So notice that verse is key. 
he he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them. So that implies to me that there were more than 12 of them. But he chose 12, whom he later designated as apostles. And we talked about how the, the final apostle is Paul. And then Simon, and then it gives the name of all the apostles who he chose. Simon, who is, he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So <clears throat> that's how the disciples were chosen. So what we're going to see here will also help us understand that point as well. So point C, Jesus, now we haven't covered this. So Jesus notes that his disciples were not randomly chosen. And that's John 15, 16. Just so, you know, we, we could say, well, whoever walked up to Jesus, those are the ones that he chose. But that's, that's not the case. Jesus says specifically, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might be, go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. So notice it is not some random selection that people can make and say, I'm, I'm going to be one of your disciples. No, no, no. This, this position is very specific to Christ called each of them. You might have chosen Christ, but did Christ choose you? This is a very specific calling. You have to say, say that for yourself. You can't just say, well, anybody who followed Christ is one of the disciples and uh, is one of the uh, founding members of the church. No, only Christ can call out those people. Point D. So now this, the phrase we're working on here is to those whom you gave me out of the world. So the father already know, he already knew by name which ones would be chosen. Now this is from eternity past. I mean, we just have to wrap our heads around this for a minute. So from eternity past, the father chose uh, us in Christ. That's what it says in Ephesians 1.4. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So, so we didn't exist then. But the Father knew we would exist, and he specifically chose us. Now, it's interesting. He has to give life to every person who is, who does come into the world, who is born. The Father has to give them life. They don't, life is not just something automatically generated. It is, he, he, he gives each person life. So God gave us life. He knows all the ones he's going to give life to, and out of those he gives life to, he also knows who's going to put their trust in Christ. And out of that number, he chose certain ones to be in this particular age. <clears throat> so that, that is key. So if Christ is praying to the Father and he said, those you gave me, it's very specific. And we already said the names. So he knows them by name. So this is clear that he didn't just choose the church. You know, some, some theologies have it that when you're in Christ, it's not an individual thing. It's just, well, you, you're a church. You know, you, you belong to the church. That's it. 
but the specifics of how we got into the church, each one of us have to be in this particular age where the baptism of the Spirit exists, did not exist before. And what does that do? He baptizes us into the body of Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For we are all baptized by one Spirit into one body, and that is the body of Christ. That's how we get into Christ. So we... It is very specific that God the Father knew our names before the creation of all things. He knew who we were. Talk about a plan, a detailed plan. You know how many decisions and things that had to happen for me to be born when I was born at this time? There was a lot. There was millennia that had gone by in terms of years. And yet, through all of that, the decisions, the wars, the this, the that, the Father knew all about it, and he knew exactly and, and chose me to be in this particular age at this particular time. Now, we can't say there was anything special about me because, like the rest, by nature, I was an object of wrath. I was dead in my transgressions and sins. I was born in Adam, just like all the rest of those who were born in this world. They were born in Adam, lost. That was me too. God knew, <coughs> excuse me, at some point in time <clears throat> that I would believe in Christ. He understood, he saw that. But lots of people he saw believing in Christ and didn't choose him to be in this particular age. He chose us. And he knew us by name. We, we have to understand that. So point D kind of begins with that thought. He gave them to those who... Christ didn't choose them of his own accord. He chose them because those were the ones the Father told him to choose. That's important to note. You gave me out of this world. So to those you, whom you gave me out of this world. He, he, he revealed the Father to those people that the Father chose. That's like coming full circle. You, you didn't know anything about God. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. You came to know uh, that you were saved by believing in Jesus Christ. Got to know the gospel. Now you continue to go full, full circle is, well, the Father saw me from eternity past and he chose me to be in Christ at this particular time. And then that knowledge hits us like what we're talking about right now. Christ is praying to the Father, says, I, may, I revealed those whom you gave me out of this world. Now, obviously, he was talking about the disciples, but by extension, each person that's in the church age is chosen. Each person is in the church age. So that's how we, we should know and understand this. It's not some of just at the foundation. It is everyone. And that's John 17, 20. It says, those who would believe in me through their message, that all of us may be one. So that oneness speaks of the assets we have in Christ. That's why he's talking about all of us had to be chosen.
So point D again, let's, let's say it. You gave me out of this world. When did the father choose them? Ephesians 1, 4, we already covered that. It says, he chose, for he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That's how he gave us to Christ. Now, if we say us, it's still true, but to be technical about it, he's talking about the disciples who would later be the foundation for the church. He didn't choose them to be in Israel. He didn't choose them just to be in Israel. He chose them to be in the church, the foundation of the church. So Romans 8, 29 and 30, let's just read that. I know you, you have read it before, but in this light, you have, have to kind of look at it uh, so you can see it, what we've been talking about, and you can see the application. 8, 29 and 30, for those God foreknew and foreknowledge, remember, is not the same thing as omniscience. Omniscience, omniscience may know everything there is to know. <clears throat> Foreknowledge says, yeah, I know everything there is to know, but I'm only going to talk about those, I'm thinking about those who directly are related to the Father's eternal, to his eternal purpose. So he foreknew us. And that foreknowledge spans back to that time period we've been talking about, which is before time began, before the creation of the world. For the universe existed. God foreknew us. But then it says he also predestined us. There it is where we're going to be conformed to the image of his son. That tells us. He didn't predestine us to be in Israel. He, he, that's not the plan of, of God for us. He predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That's us. That, all of that happened before time began. Just think about it. Just think about the implications of all of that. And that's deep. I have to say, that's pretty deep to think that God knew all of that information before time began. And then those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So, so in, in reference to what we've been talking about here, those whom God has chosen, those you gave me out of the world. So Christ comes along and says, I, I'm going to choose the specific ones you gave me. You told me to choose these ones for the foundation. I'm choosing them. And now he's praying to the Father and he's saying, well, I've revealed you to those you gave me out of the world. Yeah, that's the implication. Point E. The Father and Christ knew all of them by name for this special calling. He also knows each one of us by name as well. And that's why I gave John 17, 20 through 21. So as I say these things, hopefully um, they resonate with you and you can see the documentation for them, for me saying them. That That is the point. And I may be ahead of myself a little bit here, but hopefully... You have the documentation as well in John 17, 20 through 21. Point F, point F, the, the last apostle for the church, the apostle Paul. So we, we talked about the apostles. Obviously, Judas was not chosen to be in Christ, but he was chosen. His name was there because God the Father knew that he was going to betray 
Christ. Remember, Judas and Christ will get ready to meet again very soon because Christ is getting ready to get up, go to the Garden of Gethsemane where he would meet Judas and say to him, you're going to betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Right? Judas came to him and remember the, 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 it was dark. So he had worked out a, a plan. The one I kissed, which was a common greeting, is the one. That's the one. Grab him. He's, the, he's Jesus, right? So Jesus came up, and he, sure enough, he kissed Christ, which was the custom. Christ didn't, he would not even think anything of it, but except for all the, the cadre of soldiers that were with Judas, they had sticks and, and clubs, and like he was some wild animal. <clears throat> And really, remember, he didn't do anything wrong his whole life, and yet this is how they treat him. Like he was some wild, crazed criminal. And anyway, so, so that, <clears throat> that's point, point F is, but the last apostle is the apostle Paul. And I, I don't know if we read these verses, but let's read them. Acts 9, 15 through 16. Let's read it. Um, Acts 9:15 and 16. It says, "But the Lord said to Ananias, "Go, this this is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and the kings and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name." But the the point I'm focusing in on my chosen instrument so who chose him? Christ. And uh, this is the Lord Jesus talking. And remember, Ananias has a problem. He's like, I don't know, Lord. <laughs> Look at verse 13. Lord Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all of them, all of the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the priests, the chief priests, to arrest all who call on your name. Remember, Paul was on the road. He was Saul then. He was on the road to Damascus to go round up more believers and have them persecuted for their faith. So Ananias knew about Saul. He knew. And so he questions the Lord. Can you imagine that? So, well, hold on, Lord. I know you didn't get today's paper, but... Let me tell you what's going on with, uh, with this man, Saul. So what did the Lord say to him? Don't worry. Go. Do what I told you. This man is my chosen instrument. And sure enough, God chose the apostle. He made Saul the apostle and that's, that we know as Paul, the apostle Paul, who wrote 13 out of the 27 books in the New Testament. Certainly, he is God's, just like it says, God's chosen instrument. And, and, and he had to suffer. We, there's a whole other story about what he would suffer. But then 1 Corinthians 15, 8 through 11, let's look at that. This is just verifying uh, that Paul is the apostle. <coughs> 15, 8 through 11 says, and... <clears throat> Uh, and, well, I will, verse 7, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, 
and last. Now he's talking about apostles, right? So, and last of all, he appeared to me also. Last of all. Notice. He appeared to me also as one, as to one abnormally born. In other words, he didn't come like the other ones did, did they? He, he didn't walk with Jesus like Peter, James, John, all Bartholomew, and all the other ones we mentioned in, in that list. He was one, as it were, abnormally born. But, you know, he at, la at last, and last, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles. But he's not saying he's not an apostle. He's saying I'm the least of them because he was hunting apostles down. He was against Christ. And this is his humility and his shame in, in what he was before he came to Christ. He says, I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. But the point is, I'm making here, we don't get to choose who's the apostle. God chose that. God the Father chose Paul to be an apostle. And he chose him before time began. He foreknew the apostle Paul. He, he, he predestined him to be conformed to the image of his son. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. And that's the apostle Paul. And so we should know where he came from. And then verse 10, 1 Corinthians 15, 10, by the grace of God, I am what I am. <laughs> I used to play with this because this is what uh, Popeye used to say. I am what I am, right? And, and, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So we, we see the Apostle Paul taking his place among the other apostles. The Apostle Paul did not have any special message that was only given to him. The same message that the other apostles had is the same message that the Apostle Paul had. And, but they agreed that God, that Paul would go to the Gentiles and, and, and that um, Peter would go to the Jews. But didn't mean, it didn't mean that Peter had some different message because once they're in Christ, once they come to faith in Christ, there is no Jew, there is no Gentile in the church in Christ. So, but they were attacking it from different angles. Just know that. So that was point O F. Let's look at point G. Since the disciples, or later to become apostles, were chosen by the Father and selected by Christ, the disciples could not make the call to choose Matthias. And that's Acts 1.26. So they made this choice. Well, you know, who are we going to... Judas is gone. Who are we going to get to replace him? And they chose Matthias. But you can't choose you can't just decide you're going to replace somebody who they didn't know anything about the Apostle Paul, as we know, because he had that reputation as Saul tormenting the church. And uh, so how would they know anything about God's choice? Well, God did choose. Jesus did choose 
the last apostle. And it was not Matthias. It was the apostle Paul. Let's continue. Point, th- point number three. They were yours. You get, Let's read the whole verse again. I just don't want to lose the continuity here. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Let's talk about that. They were yours. What does that mean in the first point? As we learned, they, the disciples, were the father's choice from, the, from, the, from a period before the creation of the world. Now, where do we get that point number five? Right, not point number five, but that's verse five. Right? And this is before time begins. John 17, five says, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So there was, <clears throat> there was certainly uh, a glory that they saw out of the Father's plan that they wanted to achieve. And how, do, how would they do it? Ephesians 1.4, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Right? That, that's how it would be accomplished. They were the Father's choice. And then they were chosen to be apostles as well, on top of that. So we could say we are a choice. We should say we are chosen in him before the creation of the world. But we were not chosen to be apostles. That's where God has distinguished us from the apostles. I don't believe in this multiplying of apostles that we get to choose uh, a name for ourselves. Let's put, put the name Apostle Doug. How does that sound? Let me try that on. No, this is how people do it. They're like, I'm an apostle. I'm going to be an apostle. I'm somebody in the church. I, I'm the pastor, and and I'm going to be an apostle. So let me try on the name. And some put the other titles on, like prophet so-and-so, prophet this or prophet that. No, we can't do that. Those are chosen callings. As you saw, the apostles for the church. And and then Paul said, what did he say? He said, I am the last one. You don't get to be an apostle just because you feel like it. Just like you like the word and you like the title, you like the sound of it. That's not something you can just choose for yourself. As you see, there's a lot that went into this. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. They understood and they believed, they had enough humility to put their faith in Christ. So that's, that's the first point. It was before the world began that this went on. Point B, you gave them to me. So they were yours, you gave them to me. This speaks of the Father's plan. These disciples would later be in the foundation of the church in Christ. So when you think about it, a couple scriptures here. It's Ephesians 5.32. None, all of these scriptures, you're not going to say, boy, I never saw that before. Yeah, we saw this one before. <laughs> and the other one too, that's coming up. So Ephesians 5.32. This is a profound mystery. Mystery means it was hidden in the Old Testament, hidden from the past, from any Gentile and from any Jew in the, prior to Pentecost. Right? It was hidden in God, as we know. That's what mystery means. 
So 530 is a profound or great mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. So a lot of times people use these verses for a marriage seminar. It's like, look, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And they go on and on about how husbands ought to be uh, or how wives ought to be toward their husbands. But what they don't do is talk about what Paul is talking about, why he used that analogy in the first place. That's just an analogy that he was trying to show you a greater truth. And here's what it is. He says, this is a profound mystery. But I am taught, what I am really talking about is Christ in the church. So what should we be talking about? Christ in the church. That's the most important point. That point gets left aside, discarded by many because they want to have a marriage seminar. I'm not poo-pooing marriage or anything. That's not my point here, but I'm trying to teach the word of God. This is what the point is here. It's about the mystery. It's about the, the church. It was hidden. And we are the ones who are chosen. But then, verse 33, to the metaphor, he says, however, each one of you must also love his wife and he who loves as he loves himself. And his wife must respect her husband. He still, he says, well, yeah, yeah, that's still true, but that's not what I'm talking about. Yeah, just so you know, right? That, so Ephesians talks about the, the foundation of what we have. And then 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Remember, without the foundation of the church, where Christ said he was going to build his church, uh, we wouldn't have a church. So it's important. And then 5.17 says it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. So not only are we spoken of as those in Christ, so not of this world, um, you know, where there's going to be some special assets provided. We're going to have the spirit. We're going to be in Christ and the father and so forth. But we are called a new creation here a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. Old things old things have lost their power over us. The new creation has come. And the implications of that, when you go back to Romans chapter 8, tremendous. The whole creation is waiting for the children of God to be revealed. Uh, so, so there's a lot that we can say about those of us who are in Christ. We're something special, we must say. We are somebody special as far as God the Father is concerned. He chose us in him before the creation of the world. Point C, they have obeyed your word. <laughs> so for this, I say it took some time, but yes, they did. For Christ to say this to the Father means they did get it. They, they, they did. They got it together and they got it. So John 14, 7 and 8 tells us, well, maybe not, but, but Jesus is stressing this to them. I'm going to turn to John 14, 7 and 8 because it wasn't automatic. So Jesus says, if you really knew me, you would know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Verse 8, Philip said, Lord, show us the father and that will be enough for us. So when Jesus is going to say in John 17, I have revealed you, they have obeyed, they heard, they kept your word, right? That means some, some growth had to happen for the disciples, some knowledge they had to accept. 
and there's no doubt about that. They did come to this point where they understood things better. And then there's 16, 29, and 30. Um, 16, 29, and 30 um, says, Then Jesus said, uh, Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. And they're talking about God the Father there. They understand now. Now, we get that, but I'm sure there was more that Jesus could take away from the fact that they did get it. They finally got it. They understood now. Now, they were floundering, and they needed some clarification. And remember, they were getting ready to go through the emotional roller coaster, you know, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And they didn't quite have all that sorted out, but they did get it. How do we know? Jesus confesses to the Father that they have understood, they have obeyed his word. Right? They have obeyed. And, and what was the word? Love each other. Right? These are some of the things that they needed to do. Right, So let's look at point C. <coughs> Excuse me. Let's look at point C. They have obeyed your word. So I say it took some time, right? Oh, we already did point C. I'm sorry. Point D. The fact that we are here says the disciples went through the emotional roller coaster and we can now stand on the Father's accomplishments through them. So Jude 1, 3 is our scripture reference. Jude 1, 3 says, <clears throat> Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people, his saints. Remember, we talked about what that meant. Set apart unto God. Specifically a reference to us. Not Israel here. So, and there were attacks on the church. And these people needed to stand firm. Contend for the faith. The faith is not just, oh, just keep believing in Christ. Faith is the body of truth that, that we believe. That we've been handed down to us entrusted to us. We have to maintain it. We have to fight for it. We have to contend for it because it is the truth and that's what we have to stand on. The apostles laid down this information and we have it in our generation today and we have to continue to be faithful towards it. It hasn't changed. Until the rapture happens, then we continue to hold fast the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So that's a key verse for us as well as we think about. That's Jude 1, 3. And then point E, whatever we may think about the disciples, whatever we may think about them, they obeyed his word. That's, in, that's important to note. So John 15, 11 through 15, because these were deliverables that Christ had to uh, reveal <clears throat> before he's saying, he said, I did make known these things known to you. I have revealed you to those. They have obeyed your word. I told them what your word is. They obeyed it. 
So John 15 is our scripture here, 11 through 15. Let's read it. He says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything I, that I learned from the Father, I have made known to you. So when you see this, you have to see how it all comes together in John 17, where Jesus is saying these very words right back to the Father. He says, I've revealed you to those you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. You see there is a continuity there. And this is exactly what we're talking about as we are thinking through the prayer of Christ. Point F. We're almost done. Stand, stand by. Point F. Christ said, on this rock, I will build my church. And that's Matthew 16, 18. And of course, um, those are key words. And <clears throat> we are here today. Word is Truth Christian Church is here in Christ as witnesses to the Father's persistent will. In other words, it worked. The plan continues on. One day, the rapture will happen. We'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. We'll be joined to him. Even though we are joined to him positionally, we will be joined to him experientially in the eternal state. There will still be human history left, but we will be with the Lord forever. And that is our destiny. That is what the Father wanted from eternity past, to bring many sons into glory. Well, he does it. He does it. So I will um, close this thought with John 4 and 34. Jesus says, My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. What do you mean, my food? What does he mean by my food? We might have to go to John 4, 34, just to see. I, I could just simply say it, but I'd like to read it. It just resonates even better. John 4 and 34. So, if we read the pre, in the context, um, so when they came back, remember, they went to, to go get some food because Jesus was famished, he was hungry, and he waited at the well. <clears throat> so when they came back, I mean, this is all after the woman, right? Verse 30, they came out of the town, made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then Jesus, uh, I'm sorry, then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? And this is the verse I quoted here. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So when he says my food, food 
eating and food is a motivation. It's strong, a strong motivation. All of us have it. If you're not hungry now, <laughs> you're going to be soon. And you're going to be making footsteps somewhere to get you some food. I guarantee it. If you don't eat today, then tomorrow or the next day, you're going to figure out what to eat. I know it. Because it's a strong motivation that all of us have. So the disciples figured, well, Jesus is hungry. Let's just make sure he, he gets what everything he needs. But he says, my food, really, his motivation is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So this is pretty much the context of what we've been seeing in John 17. Jesus says, I finished the work you gave me to do. Now, let's talk about that glory that we planned before time began. So, we are going to continue next week with this context, but it is very interesting and intriguing context. Let's continue to lean forward and examine the words of Jesus as he prays to the Father on our behalf. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Father, for this time we've had. We thank you for those who have joined. And it's a privilege just to hear these words spoken over us, spoken over the apostles, uh, the church, the plan, uh, the destiny of all those who are in Christ. So we thank you. We appreciate your choices in this matter. We didn't choose you, but you chose us. And all we can do is be grateful and know that obviously it didn't have anything to do with us because we were dead in our transgressions and sins. So, Father, we pray for word is truth. We pray for those who don't know you. Uh, they may know Jesus, but they may not know you, Father. We pray for them. Uh, just like it says, your will is that all men be saved and to come to the full knowledge of the truth. Father, let that be our motivation in this world as well. We pray that you will use us, that you will give us opportunities to witness for you, to show our love for you. And we pray as we continue in this new year that... Uh, we will have the proper motivation so that we can continue to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.